Hi, my name is Thomas, and I am going to tell you a story. Before we get started, note that this is episode three. So if you're just joining us, I'd recommend pausing here and starting from the beginning. Also, since this is a new story set in a fantastical land, it may not be the best experience to multitask while you listen. We are recording in our respective homes, safely distanced as the COVID-19 pandemic rages across the country. There is no music, and there are no sound effects. But, if you like, you can imagine that we are alone, you and I, in a pale desert, a merciless tundra, with only the occasional beat of hooves to disturb that great, vast emptiness. This is the Oa Oligur. You're Olgin. You're a pure blood scion of the Broken Kingdom. The cartographer has fled. Yochi is frozen where he sits. Everything is still, save for the gentle swaying of the tent flap, disturbed by Alt's exit. Well, that's illuminating. Yochi jumps, his heart convulsing with palpitations upon palpitations. <laughs> Yochi, if you're going to sneak about in the middle of the night, you may want to find a stronger nerve. Before Yochi can retort, Katu raises a conciliatory hand. Not that I'm any expert in strong nerves. You heard the sound I made when that snow monster charged me. I'm sorry to have woken you. Katu pushes himself up onto his elbows and eyes the gray sliver of moonlight falling through the tent flap. It might not be wise to tell the others of this. The Thars were driven out of Andor by the Ulgan during the Io Imperior, a hundred years before the Long Darkness. But you're half Ulgan. And I bear no brand upon my chest, and my name opens no doors. He brushes his fingers over the coin of Centurium Jade resting above his heart. I wonder what lineage he hails from. Perhaps the Gal Bellator? Yochi, did you notice a symbol depicted beneath the tiger? But Yochi is gone. Yochi paces across the campsite. The air is cool, but not cold. The first color of dawn is peeking over the ridge of the caldera in the distant east. On the other side of the fire pit, Tsasi and Golgyuk doze by the Thar tent. Yochi continues toward the coach and oxen. He finds Gusnav, one of the more agreeable bulls in the team, and places his hands upon the huge animal's back, stroking the coarse hair. What are we doing here, Goose? Gusnav grunts and shakes his head amiably. Yochi inhales deeply, steadying his breath as he pets the bull. He turns and presses his back to the bovine side, attempting to synchronize his breathing with Gusnav's. He looks up at the sky, the great spray of stars, the fleeing moon, gibbous and waxing. It'll be full in a day or two, then. Yochi closes his eyes. Wagon boy. Yochi blinks. The cartographer stands facing him, his nightshirt done up to conceal the brand. What do you want from me? Yochi says nothing. He watches the Andrishman cautiously. You know who I am. What is it you want? I want to know when I should expect you to leave me for dead like you tried with Nerised. I am not a priest, and I am not a scholar. 
I have no use for dead gods. But our lives are tied together now, and it is as important to me as anyone that we escape this place. Once I found what I came for. And what is that exactly? Why don't you tell Gimogen what you have? The cartographer spits. <laughs> Thars cannot be trusted. They have their own codes, to be sure, but people who never plant seeds never need care for their fields. He steps forward. But I'd like to trust you. What do you mean? How would you like a stable of your own? A coveted apprenticeship, or perhaps you'd like to travel the world? See the living towers of Verdinium, or the labyrinth at Cyrus? I could make you a knight of the Daishao in Andor. Tell me what you want. And if you keep my secrets, I swear to Gudan I'll get it for you when we return to civilization. Yochi breathes, taking in the cartographer's oath to one of the savior gods. He looks at Gusnav. The wide, dark eye of the bull looks dispassionately back at him. Why Gudan? The cartographer shifts on his feet. Gudan's aspect rules over the unspoken. He sounds a bit sheepish. Yochi allows a twitch of a smile to cross his face. So, the Andrishman was a man of the church. Huh. Can I think about it? The cartographer hesitates. Of course. He turns. Come. Help me start the morning fire. A thought occurs to Yochi. Something he should have thought of much sooner. Alt! Alt stops. Why did your uncle write to you in Barashi? Alt turns his head in profile, not quite looking at Yochi. My uncle was Oroman, a lowlander like you, married to my mother's shame by way of marriage to my mother's sister. But since the war began, what you call the breaking of Andor, members of my family have developed a bad habit of being assassinated. As a child, Orem was judged to be the safest place for me. Safe? In Orem? Yochi walks past Alt towards the fire pit. Your enemies in Andor must be fierce indeed. They don't speak as they build the fire. Dawn breaks and the others emerge to regroup for barley meal and tea. Yochi is struck again by how quiet it is. No birds greet the day with chatter, nor even any insects. Katu fills the silence with a meandering recollection of the dream he'd had. When they've finished eating, Gemujin spreads out the lost parchments from her temple on her lap. These pages attest to a painted castle in the woods to the northeast, a lake of secrets, or perhaps a lake of spells, and some kind of, ugh, this translation is missing something, but some kind of forge buried in the hills. I think this means sacred to Anrana. She looks at Katu. I say we seek out the castle first. If there really is some kind of structure, it might make for better shelter than our tents. And if the gods ever exchange tokens here, I think they'd do it there. She turns her gaze to each of them in turn, then gathers the parchment and slaps her knee. Yavza! Yochi helps Nariset break down the Thar tent while Gemujin speaks with Katu. Nariset seems distracted, more laconic even than usual, and the few words they do utter are sharper. Nariset? Yochi finds the courage as they are packing away the bedrolls. Yochi? Do you think... Later, you might show me a little archery? We have three bows and three archers. We don't need another. Yochi is stung. He looks away across the camp and sees Alt shoveling dirt over the campfire. 
Not having need of something in the past is a poor indicator of whether or not one will need it in the future. He ties off Gemogen's bedroll, picks it up, and carries it away to the supply cart. He heaves it aboard. Before he can return to his work, Gemogen catches his shoulder. Don't be upset. Naraset is angry at me. How did you- Yochi exhales. Why? It's not important. But you should know how grateful we are that you're here. You're more than carrying your weight. Yochi looks at Katu, who bows his head and leaves to collect his things. Gimijin, can I ask you something strange? Of course. If you could ask one thing of an Olgan, what would you ask for? Gimijin smiles bemusedly at Yochi. What do you mean? If you could make one request, I don't know, would you ask them to return the land they stole in Andor? Well, they did not steal it from my herds, but... She shakes her head. It's not so simple. The Ulgan cannot return our land any more than we could occupy their cities. Thars believe land is meant to be lived on. The Ulgan believe it's meant to be settled. But you have temples in Eladia, don't you? Temples constructed long ago. I'm not saying Thars never build or that Ulgan never travel. But it is a... first thing, hard to describe. Like any balance of forces in the universe, if one grows too powerful, it can threaten to destroy everything. She looks after Katu. Whisper City is on good terms with the Thassa, but many people, and most Ulgan, believe Thars to be vicious, savage. And as long as we roam free, their precious cities will never be safe. And proving them right, in their eyes anyway, are the hunting herds who believe it their duty to burn down settlements and drive the Ulgan back within their walls. Yochi's breath stops in his throat. I'm sorry, like the Ustaka? Are you saying the Ustaka are Thars? A brutal and violent group of herds. But yes, why? The raiders that burned Barun Vase, my village. When my uncle described them to the guards of Whisper City, we were told they were Ustaka. Gemijin's eyes soften. She stammers for a moment before extending a hand to place on Yochi's arm. I, uh, Yochi. Yochi flinches away from Gemijin's hand. I should yoke the oxen. He starts to walk away, but turns. And for the record, there's no such thing as a hunting herd. The word you're looking for is pack. The already tense atmosphere in the camp is quite palpable now. Yochi evades eye contact, even as he suspects that the others are doing the same. Katu alone seems immune. Well, so far Gemijin has proven more right than the temple venerate expected. He says cheerfully, boarding the covered wagon. But we shall see if that trend continues. They begin their descent from the plateau. Yochi's mind is buzzing. He feels incredibly stupid, and with the stupidity came shame and anger. Of course the Ustaka were Thars. He looks ahead, fixing his eyes on Nerisset's back. Hadn't the raiders worn similar furs and riding tunics? And when Gemogen spat Thassa at Naraset, weren't the sounds similar to those growled by the Ustaka? Yochi's stomach hurts. The ox-drawn carriages wind their way down a barren slope toward the grassland, following Gemogen and Naraset. Yochi's eyes burn when he looks at them. He grimaces. This was not useful. He did not like to think of Baron Vase or his parents, and now is not the time to start. When the terrain flattens, they turn their course directly to the north. 
but his packed dirt littered with pine cones gives way to long stalks of gray-green and blue. Golgyuk whinnies and rears back on his hind legs. Halt! Nariset dismounts and, still favoring their left leg, limps into the verdure. They kneel, tear away a blade of grass, and examine it. No, 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 no. Nariset pulls up a handful of soil and plant matter from the ground, turns, and rises to face the party. That's it. We're done. Yochi, watch the oxen. We've got to turn around. What is it? Nariset advances, holding their fist of earth aloft. It's poison. Thars call it Thurimkar, invader's bane, because horses and livestock who are not familiar with it will graze and die, bringing invading armies to their knees. They hurl the soil to the ground again. It lands with a muted thuff. We have to get out of here. We're running low on food, and I've never seen a wood so empty of life. We should leave now, while we still can. Return to Whisper City, and thank Yabush Matir for mercy. Nariset. We won't be able to get the wagons or the oxen back up through the tunnel, but we can load up the horses with the rest of the food and water, carry our tents on our backs, and make the trip on foot. The cartographer eyes Nariset's bandaged leg. Kati must be a better nurse than I thought. But Nariset ignores him, barreling on. There's no time left to waste here. We have just barely enough rations to get us home. God gracious, with a few good hunts when we reach the steep. Nariset. Saucy snorts, pawing the dirt anxiously with her hooves. Nariset locks eyes with Gemogen. Trust me. I know death, and this valley stinks of it. If my herd happened upon a sea of invaders made like this, we'd name the place for what it is. Cursed. What happened to your herd, Nariset? Nariset stiffens visibly. What? Why are you asking me that? You told me you wouldn't give orders you believed to be death sentences. But that's exactly what this sounds like. Returning through the wastes on foot? It sounds like suicide. And what happened to your herd? Nariset's eyes fix on Yochi, brow furrowed in surprise, and something softer, something darker. They turn to look at Gemogen again. It's of no importance what happened to my herd. What are we talking about? Nariset's tribe no longer travels the lowlands of Orem and Tharos. Somehow I don't think they dispersed peacefully. And I've never heard of a banished Thar. Yochi. Please, stop. The boy has a point. If we are to defer to your judgment on this or any other matter, the circumstances of your sole survivorship may be relevant. Unbidden, a picture flashes in Yochi's mind. Sloped roofs blazing in the night, and violent shadows casting about with their swords as he and Cotter watched from their pathetic covering of shrub. Yochi feels strangled by dread. He steps forward. What happened? There was a fire. Nariset meets Yochi's eyes for a moment, then casts their gaze downward. A muscle in their cheek twitches. Their jaw is clenched. There was a brush fire. We nearly rode right into it. It's a wonder we didn't smell the smoke, but there were shifting winds that day, and the skies were dark. The flames exploded over a ridge and fell upon us before we knew it. The other four watched them quietly. Nariset takes a quick breath through their nose, looks back at Yochi once, then away, at some point in the distance where who's and what's ceased to matter, and there was only rock and sky. The wind was strong and the fire advanced like a tidal wave terrifying. My people panicked. 
We call ourselves the Idaste, the fearless ones, but we failed our name that day. As the horses milled and my kindred scream, I lifted my finger to the wind. It was blowing the fire straight towards us. We couldn't hope to outrun it. I sounded my horn and silenced the Idaste. I was one of their great hunters. I thought they'd listen to me. So as the flames swept toward me, I exhorted them. I commanded them to turn and ride through the fire. The fire burns towards us, I shouted, but it can't burn for long. Turn your steeds to face the flames. Set them to a gallop and we might survive. But hardly had my horn blast faded before my brother, Batar, was also shouting, ride south. The fire dims that way. Ride to where there is less brush for it to feed on. I could see the confusion in my family's eyes, but there was no time. I turned to Goldrick to face the flames. I dug my heels into his sides, and with a cry, we drove into the inferno. Flames wreathed his hooves and licked at my eyes. It was an agony, but only for a moment. Then we were out. We were past it, skidding to a halt in a cloud of ash among the blackened husks of vegetation, their branches still curling with red ember tips. But we made it. We made it through. We were one of few. I turned and watched the rest of the Idashte stumble through the fire before collapsing into a charred and writhing mass before me, or else caught fleeing and turned to smoke and charcoal a hundred hoofbeats on. Those that did survive as I did, we fell into a ruinous squabble. How did this happen? Who were we supposed to follow? Where were the outriders? Swords were drawn. But in the end, we were too badly burned and beaten to spill more blood. We rode together for one day more and finally dispersed. And that was the end of the Eidashtay. That is how I lost my herd. And I'm haunted by it. How could it all go wrong so quickly? What I could have done differently, I was right. But it didn't matter because no one listened to me. I didn't find the conviction then to rule my people. And it cost them everything. Gemogen's face is unreadable. We are not turning back. If I am to return to Whisper City on foot and empty-handed, I won't do it with a full stomach and unfinished business behind me. She looks at each of them in turn. Tighten your belts and sharpen your senses. We stand in the haunted womb of the lost gods, Oa, and the three lines of humankind. Her eyes come to rest on Nereset. No one leaves until the ghosts are all drawn out. Yochi ties feed bags around the muzzles of the oxen to prevent them from grazing. It's afternoon already. The long summer days seemed shorter here, since the sun had only to pass from one ridge of the caldera to the next. They cross the Sea of Turum Kar with the same deadly urgency as would sailors cross a shark-infested bay, or so Yochi imagines. His eyes flit from ox to ox, watching for a loose muzzle, and he drives them harder than he'd ever remembered doing, employing the lash whenever one moves in complaint. Gemogen rides ahead on Sasi, returning with news of the northern wood. We can make it by sundown, she assures. And they do. Yochi allows himself a sigh of relief as they leave the bluish-green grass behind them and make their way into another needle-strewn forest. They stop there and make camp, 
There is not yet any sign of a painted castle, nor does this wood appear to be more populated with wildlife than the first. No one even suggests a hunt. Nariset makes a fire, and Katu prepares another stew of bone broth. Yochi is exhausted. His stomach grumbles. The story of the Idaste nags at his mind. At least he was reassured that their downfall had been at the hands of nature, rather than a raid gone wrong. Had he really suspected Nariset of... No. Maybe. He isn't sure. He feels a wave of sadness pass through him as he looks around the fire. How could they have been brought so low when there was an indisputable holiness to this place? Even Nereset had invoked the gods that afternoon, seemingly forgetting that they professed to be agnostic. And perhaps the Andrishman worshipped different gods, but he was still a child of Anrana. They all were. Someone should do something, tell a story or sing a song to lift their spirits. They had already come so far. That was a victory in itself, wasn't it? He takes a deep breath. Our king went forth from fair long morn With favor of the church and sword Now knights of gray will fight no more Thanks be to the siege of East Court. The others watch him. They don't join in, but they raise their heads, and the fire dances in their eyes. The Sela conquered all they faced. Our lords and saviors thus debased. Till Orimthar and Andorazed To end the war in Far East Court And so rejoice the realms of man That dawn was won by Thin Tear's hand from darkness we did rest our land, and so we sing to bless East Court. The last notes drift into silence. Katu looks from Yochi to the cartographer. That's a pretty tune. Did you understand any of it? The song was in Barashi. Of course, to Katu they were just sounds. It's the East Court Carol. Not true, by the way. Not true? Andor never joined against Palis in the Veneration War. Not officially, anyway. Uh, and the prince from North Andor did take his retinue to East Court against the advice of the throne in Daishao. What happened to them? They all died. But not by your people. They were picked off by a South Andrus militia on their way home. <laughs> My father died at East Court. And all his brothers. I'm surprised to hear that even a single Ulgan lost his life. Yochi's face flushes. I, I'm sorry. I didn't know. It's just a song I learned from the Gleeman that would pass through Barun Vase. It was 20 years ago. I've made my peace with it. Thars is also misleading. 
They were Kalians from Tharos, not true Thassa like Narasat and Gemogen here, isn't that right? Gemogen shakes her head. My people stayed out of it. Anyway, that's the story of every war. Kalians die so that the Ulgan can score a few more points in their high squabbles, and the Thars can keep doing whatever the hell they want. Navshin, the Thassa drew the first blood of the Iconomachy. <laughs> right. A thousand years ago. Yochi stands up. Everyone stop! Everyone stops. They look at Yochi. The red-mouthed man is watching from the darkness, coagulated blood clinging as always to his upper lip, oozing over his mouth and chin, and blotted beneath his cheekbones. He looks excited. Everyone needs to get a weapon. Now! Nariset is on their feet, palma drawn. Gemogen knocks an arrow, so does the cartographer. Katu gets to his feet, and Yochi strides to the supply cart and grabs the hunting spear from the day before. What is it? Another creepy crawly? A gust of wind passes through their campsite, rustling the pines and sending a shudder through the fire. Or maybe something worse. From somewhere within the forest, a bell rings. Katu jumps. The others shift on their feet. The red-mouthed man leans forward. The bell rings seven times. As the last sonorous note fades, Nariset looks over at Gemogen. Your painted castle, I guess. Gemogen relaxes her bowstring. I guess so. A light flickers from the darkness. Look out! An incendiary mass comes lurching out of the woods, twenty feet tall and wreathed in purple and orange flames. It appears to be composed of hundreds of wooden staves with sharpened ends, like giant matchsticks bound together by some otherworldly force. Golgyuk screams in terror, reeling back on his hind legs and shaking the supply wagon as he pulls against his harness. The cartographer looses an arrow at the thing, it buries itself in the tangle of wooden staves to no effect, and the construct responds by sweeping its arm into the cartographer's chest, throwing him to the ground. Nariset backs into the center of the clearing, their eyes almost as lifeless in panic as their horse. What is this thing? Gemogen drops her bow and fumbles at the collar of her tunic. At any given moment, the golem seems to command three limbs, but they are in constant motion collapsing or extending from the shifting pyre as needed, each one composed of a dozen razor-sharp spears. Hot air emanates from it in blasts, and the dry logs and low branches of the pines around it burst into flame as it passes. It swings one of its appendages at Gemogen, and she nearly falls backwards to evade it. Finally, she withdraws the holy symbol tied around her neck, the Eye of Bach Yashil. She lifts the amulet towards the golem and shouts, We are the children of the lost gods. We have not come to desecrate their home. The oxen are mooing in consternation and bucking at their restraints. Nariset has fallen to their knees, their palma shaking in their hands. The stick thing charges past Gemogen, pauses, and turns its eyeless torso to face the wagons. Yochi runs to the oxen, placing himself between the golem and Gusnav. He brandishes his tiny hunting spear at the flaming tower of spears before him and screams. The golem screams back, 
an unearthly sound, like three human voices joined in one, anger, pain, and grief. It turns away from the oxen and brings its arm down on Sasi, slashing the Ulanmore across her flank. Sasi, no! Sasi whinnies in pain and falls to the earth, blood pouring from the gaping wound in her stomach. Gemujin runs to her horse's side. Yochi summons all the strength he can, steps forward, and with a cry he drives his spear into the golem, snapping one of the staves that make it up in half with a twist of force. The broken piece of flaming wood falls to the ground before Yochi. The golem recoils, then raises another cruel appendage and brings it swinging towards him. Yochi dives out of the way, rolling to a stop in the dirt and clutching his spear to his chest. His eyes land on the red-mouthed man. The figment is still standing just outside the clearing, watching him. Almost in a trance, Yochi rises to his feet. Gemogen pulls herself away from Sasi to intercede, but Yochi pays her no heed. He begins walking towards the red-mouthed man. Casually, the red-mouthed man steps over a burning log and matches pace towards Yochi. Yochi, what are you doing? Yochi advances on the red-mouthed man, lifting his spear. A few feet from the phantom, he stops. The red-mouthed man halts his approach in kind. Why is this happening? The red-mouthed man says nothing. What do you want from me? The red-mouthed man says nothing. Do you want me to die? Do you want these people to die and to watch me starve out here alone, forgotten? Is that what you want? The red-mouthed man says nothing. Why? The red-mouthed man opens his lips, revealing a dripping black void alien to human anatomy. Thy answers await thee at the forge. And with that, he vanishes. Gemogen lifts the eye of Bakyashil again. Give us peace! The bell from within the forest rings once more, and the stick thing freezes. Its blaze of animation is blown out like a candle, and with a sound of a thousand splitting logs, each of the wooden staves shoot into the sky like javelins, until nothing remains. There is quiet then except for the crackling of the campfire and the distressed sounds of the animals. Yochi turns slowly. Katu, Nariset, Alt, and Gemogen are all there, breathing heavily, staring at Yochi. This was episode three of the Oa Oligar, and of season two of Thomas Tells a Story. The show is written and created by myself, Thomas Constantine Moore, and our theme music is by Joe Mendick. Yochi is voiced by Heron Atkins, Gemogen by Molly Griggs, Katu by Jeffrey Omura, Nariset by Alexis Floyd, and the cartographer by Heath Saunders. Thank you for listening. This story will continue in the next moon.
Hey there, it's me again. If you love this show and want to keep it going, one of the best things you can do is spread the word and tell your friends. You can also follow us on Twitter at TTAS Podcast or join the community on Reddit at r slash Thomas Tells. But most importantly, this season, you actually get to influence the events of the story. After episode one, you voted for Yochi to ask Nariset what became of her herd. In this episode, we learned the story of the Idas Tay. And after episode two, you voted for Yochi to sing a victory carol and to speak to the red-mouthed man. As a result, we learned that Katu's father died during the decisive battle of the Veneration War, and the red-mouthed man gave Yochi a message, Thy answers await thee at the forge. You also voted for Yochi to protect the oxen instead of the horses, and Sasi was gravely wounded as a result. There are three new choices to be made after episode three, so go to our website at thomastellsastory.com next right now and vote on what you want to see happen in episode four. And don't forget, lives may hang in the balance.